Good morning, church. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Well, let's pray. Father, uh, first and foremost, we thank you, Lord, for giving us breath this morning. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to be here, Lord. And as your word comes, I pray, Lord, that as you've said, that it will accomplish, God, what you've sent it to do. I thank you for the seeds that will be planted in our hearts. And I thank you, God, for the growth um, that you will bring um, from those seeds. I pray, God, that as we listen, God, you will give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm not sure why I exited the stage because it was so short, but here I am. We're back. Um, okay, so uh, so there's a lot of things converging on uh, on today, April the 16th, right? Um, those things that are converging are Church Planting Sunday, um, also Send Sunday as we send out Koinonia. It's also the time when we re-enter back into Philippians. It's been eight weeks since we were in Philippians, and so all along the hope was that we would we would just Read Philippians 3.1, which says, it's no trouble for me, Paul speaking, to remind you of the things you already know. And so our hope was really just to go back through Philippians today in a very, uh, you know, just like mountaintop type of a way. We've been in the valley, we've traveled through all these things, verse by verse, line by line, and now our hope was just to go back and go, hey, it's been eight weeks, we've gone through uh, the seven churches in Revelation, just to kind of remind us of what's true, we need to go back through this, and actually, we're going to do that. And so here's what I know about being a church planter now, eight plus years into this. When I read the New Testament before, um, before I was a church planter, it meant something to me, obviously, right? But when I... Um, became a church planter. When I felt the call to start a church plant, I reread the New Testament, and all of a sudden, I had different eyes on it. All of a sudden, I was starting to read and interpret it with a lot more empathy for Paul uh, that I didn't know that I, I, like I didn't know was missing. And so ultimately, that's my hope for us today, is that we would rediscover some things that we've already walked through as a church that we probably forgot. Uh, but also rediscover it through the lens of Send Sunday, through the lens of sending some of our beloved uh, brothers and sisters to go start a new work in a different city, right? Um, so as we do that, uh, my hope really is for us to recap Philippians, uh, but also to help us understand this in a day and age that is obsessed with new information. I mean, I don't know about you, but like I don't know that and I want to know that. We are obsessed with new information, just check out however many YouTube or TikTok channels there are to give you something new to create some sort of content so that you can have it and they can get some followers and some money along the way, et cetera, et cetera. We are obsessed with new content, but the Bible is reminding us through Philippians 3.1 that there is a lot of value in rediscovering something old. And so this is what the Bible says throughout the scriptures uh, Jeremiah, when he spoke uh, to the nation of Israel and he prophesied like, hey, things are going to go poorly if you don't do something, what was the thing that he called them to do? And it says in Jeremiah 6, 16, he says this, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads. He wasn't talking about real roads. And you know that because of the context. Oh, Israel, don't, don't stray. You're, you're, you're going down the wrong road. And he, said, he's, he says this, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths, the ancient path. The old ways, where the good way is, and walk in it, and here's the promise, and there 
and the ancient ways and the ways that have, have probably just fallen deaf on you because, yeah, I already know all that. There in that place, you will find rest for your souls. Proverbs 22 says this, do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. There is a preservation in our souls if we will remember what is true and yet a little bit stale in our soul if we were honest with ourselves. When we do communion, I find it very rare that someone is bawling over communion and yet the profound reality behind it has grown a little bit too familiar for us. Like Good Friday, usually there are some people that are bawling because that is a time where we remember with, an affre- with a new freshness in our hearts. So let's review some stats. You've been given these stats before, but in the spirit of it's no trouble to remind you of these things, let me remind you some stats about church planting as we get into Philippians again. All right, we gave these to you on our anniversary Sunday. We didn't have a screen because we were outside, so you may not have uh, they may not have resonated with you. We hope they resonate with you today. So here it is, right? In 1820, in the U.S., <clears throat> it's very important that we understand that um, ratio between churches to people is a good metric for us to understand how are we doing, what is our probability in reaching a certain area. In 1820, the ratio of churches to population in the U.S. was one church to every 875 people. Now, here's what we know, is that from 1860 to 1906, church planting took off. We know that because there was one church, as, as, the, as the, the country began to settle, and many people began to spread out, you would think there may be less churches, but in fact, there were more churches being started and planted during that time. In 1906, the ratio of one church uh, to people was 1 to 430. So all of a sudden, you've got all these churches popping up in all over the U.S., and you start to see uh, a really beautiful thing. In 1776, this is according to, by the way, all this is from Tim Keller, who is the, the expert. He's the Yoda that every church planter looks to. He planted a church in New York City and survived, and that's something uh, to herald. Uh, in 1776, only 17% of people in the U.S. were religious adherents. 17%. You think... Um, that our, our founding fathers were a certain way. 17% of everybody else that was here were religious adherents. As time goes on, in 1916, because of that church planting boom, that had climbed to 53% in 140 or so years. However, turf wars began to break out amongst the churches. I know that we would never experience something like that in our day and age. Surely we've evolved into some higher species that we would never see uh, turf wars happening amongst the churches or pastors. But ultimately that happened in about 1916, and the churches began to have turf wars, and they began to resist new churches moving into my neighborhood. Very tragic. As a result, over time, this is the situation that an organization called Christ Together describes. This is where we are today. We are living during the greatest decline of Christianity in our nation on our watch, Christ together would say. The rise of the nuns is the greatest affiliation, religious affiliation in our country and has been for over a decade. 
You know what the rise of the nuns, not like the nuns, uh, like Sister Encarnacion from Nacho Libre. I just watched Nacho with my son this weekend. You're welcome. Um, but, uh, but like not, not a nun, but like the nuns, there's no affiliation. They don't affiliate with atheist or agnostic or Christian or, or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist, none. They, they, they affiliate with nothing. It's a, the fastest growing religious affiliation in our country, has been for some time. See, that's where we are today. So we have to start asking ourselves, is the model of church that we pastors are pastoring working? And the answer has to be no. So something has to change, right? So you fast forward and you get these statistics from the Houston Church Planting Network, and this is where we are today. In 2010 in Houston, the ratio of people to churches wasn't 1 to 430. In 2010, the ratio of churches to people was 1 to 1,400. So that would mean that we all need to be a part of a megachurch, ultimately. 1 to 1,400, with 4,200 churches representing 5.9 million people, greater Houston area, not just Houston proper, that's us included. One, uh, 4,200 churches to 5.9 million people. In 2021, this is just right after COVID, or, or right at the tail end of COVID, the ratio was not 1 to 1,400. We were losing ground, and now all of a sudden it's 1 to 1,500. It's 4,800 churches to every 7.2 million people. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are already thinking, I'm ready to move. 7.2 million people, that feels like a lot of traffic. Oh, just wait. Because by 2050, the estimation is closer to about 13 million people of population growth. This is just practical population growth. To keep up with population growth, some of you in your mind are going, why are we starting new churches? I could have sworn I drove by Pecan Grove Baptist Church and Faith Church and Friendship Church and Grace Community Bible Church, and I also passed by where Water's Edge used to be, which is now Now Church, and I also went over by, uh, you know, what other church? And oh, we got to plant churches over in Sugarland. Land. Isn't there already Sugar Creek? And then there are already River Point, And then there are already the bridge. And then there are already a plethora of others that we don't even know about. Of course there are. Of course. But in order to keep up with just population growth, this is what would need to happen. And you tell me, O oh Grove Church, who it's taken eight plus years to plant one, how we're doing. By 2050... In order to just keep pace with population growth, we need 110 new churches a year. That's two to three a week. That's like a lot, guys. And that's just to keep up with 1 to 1,500. If we were to try to get it down to 1 to 1,000, which is the goal of any church planter statistician would say, the goal to start saturating an area is to get one church for every thousand people in an area. In order for us to get to that point, we would need to plant in the next, by 2050, we would need to plant 230 churches or four to five a week. That is an intense pace. One that I don't know that we're making a dent out of with one for every eight years. And so if all of this is, is kind of hitting you suddenly, and you're going, man, it just feels really quick, like every, this is taking, you know, it's only eight years? No, no, we're way behind, way behind in our area. So if you're also saying, well, I've heard all this before, you said this just a few months ago, and I would say, yeah, yeah, I know, but there's something new today. 
And that is this. We're no longer talking with words. We're toiling with with work. We're toiling today. We're sending today. This is where the rubber meets the road, where our emotions start to get in the way of the call. And so we have to rediscover with new eyes maybe what Philippians can help us see, like what are the requirements here? This feels costly. What are the requirements here for good church planting? And you're probably thinking, that's not the question I woke up with. I get it. But it is the question that you're maybe asking now, at least I'm asking of us now. Well, here are three requirements out of the book of Philippians before we send our brothers and our sisters. First is first. Church planting requires sending your best. That's what church planting requires. That's what this means. That's why this hurts. That's why we're, we're why, why Yadida is crying during her last communion of the fourth Sunday of the third week. Of, we, we have a little joke. We're like, every time we see each other, we're like, hey, it's the last Sunday of the fourth week of the third month and the second Sunday of the 7 p.m.s. Okay. But to plant healthy churches, we cannot offer the Lord our leftovers of leaders, brother. You're not the leftovers. You're the best. You're the best of the best. You're the best we got. And we're not hoarding you. And the reason why is because, well, I'll just tell you, I was reading the Bible with my son, and then the NIRV that we have, that reader's Bible that we get, like it just translates some things differently. And I've just been struck by a passage I read with my son. It's from Exodus 23, 15, and it says this, you must not come to worship me with your hands empty. Now, that will shape how you come every Sunday. Am I here to receive? No, no, the Bible, God, when he's setting up the most glorious thing ever, which is Passover, when he's setting that up, he says, don't come and worship me with your hands empty. You better come with full hands ready to give to me. And that's what we're doing. We come with full hands, with a sacrifice to be made for the Lord in sending the best of the best of our leaders. This is what it requires. This is what we saw, actually, in the book of Philippians. Read with me in Philippians chapter 2. We're just going to back this up. We're going to go Philippians 3, 1, and then we're going to go all the way back up to Philippians 1. But this is what it says. When he, This is no, um, no surprise if we read this through the lens of church planting. Philippians 2, 19. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you. What is he doing? Paul is in prison. He could use the company of Timothy. I'm going to send him to you, though, O church in Philippi. I hope to send the Lord, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now listen, for I have no one like him. This is Paul, the great Paul, the self-sufficient you would think Paul, but oh no, he is very dependent on those around him. There, I have no one like my Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come. Also, you see, Timothy is Paul's heart. Timothy is Paul's heart. It is, he is like a father to a son. And I'm not Paul, and I'm not your dad, like a father to a son, brother, you have meant the world to me. Very few people stood beside me in the early days of this church. Very few people stood by me and my wife and said, that sounds like a crazy idea, and I'm in. Very few people. 
You know that more than anybody. You know that, and you did that. And very much do I echo the heart and the sentiment of Paul to Timothy. I have no one, I have no one like you, brother, and I'll miss you. I'll miss you. But this isn't the end we know. It doesn't just stop well, with Timothy. Paul goes on to say, man, I, I, you know what? I'm going to send Timothy, but I'm going to keep Epaphroditus. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's sending both of them. He's sending his best leaders to a church far away. And he says this in verse 2, 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Look how he describes him. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. And your messenger and minister to my need. You see, whereas, Paul, whereas Timothy was Paul's heart, Epaphroditus was Paul's hands. He was the one that got it done. And as an Enneagram 3 brother, you have been the one that has got it done. It's what you do. And you've served our church well with spreadsheets and systems, but more importantly, a shepherd's heart to help love those around us. You are the guy in the foxhole doing what needs to be done in the background where no one can see you. Why would Paul do this? Why would he send his best? Why do we send our best? Verse 28 says this, chapter 2. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice. That you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious about you and your welfare and your care. You cannot send your best if you're only concerned or primarily concerned about you. So Grove Church, let's just, let's just get used to the idea of sending our best to somewhere else. I hate the idea. My flesh absolutely hates it. But man, the spirit is pleased and he smiles when we would multiply for kingdom's expansion's sake, what I'll get to in just a moment. This is a loss personally and corporately for the grove as we sin, but there was rejoicing in the kingdom for the sake of others. When I had this conversation with my family over Easter, we were sitting on the couch, we were hanging out, we were like, man, Easter was great. Next week is Sin Sunday. They were like, what is that? We're like, we're going to send out one of our, our elders. We have four elders, me included, and now we'll have three after in a little bit. Whenever Josue goes and establishes himself, we'll have only three, and we need to get better and, and uh, get uh, other guys into the elder room and train up deacons and all that kind of thing. But as we send him, we're sending some of our best. And I remember um, my sister's boyfriend looking at me kind of incredulously going, why are you doing that? Like he's not a believer, he's not in church, he doesn't really understand this language of church planting and, and sending out of people because it was business, a business mind. What you want to do is you want to gather and hire your best people and not send them out to some other place. That's not the hope of the business model. But sending is our priority and it stands in contrast to collecting. It must, if we are going to prioritize growth, then we should collect. But if we're going to prioritize the making of disciples of all nations, then we must send. Are you guys hearing that? Are you guys feeling that, the weight of that reality? If we must be a people who have a, a, an unbelievable sending capacity, right? It's the great examples of the Tower of Babel and Pentecost. These two things stand in history, whereas the Tower of Babel, if you don't remember back in Genesis chapter 10, 11, right, you see uh, all of humanity coming together, and they're going to build this tower. Let us make a, a name for ourselves, and they're going to build a tower up to the heavens, and God looks down and goes, that's cute. I'm going to come down, and I'm going to confuse their language because I told you guys long ago in the garden, be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth. And you guys are collecting and building. And so he confuses their language, and he sends them out, 
And all of a sudden, the language starts to get unified again at Pentecost, right? When everybody's speaking different languages, and they go, oh my gosh, you're actually speaking my, my native tongue. And he unifies them underneath Jesus, and he sends them the Spirit, and all of a sudden, he doesn't collect and grow anymore. He sends and fills exactly like he said in the beginning. We are hopeful that the sending will lead to the filling of the earth with God's glory, not just this tiny little room, but this tiny little room multiplied over and over and over and over again. Because what that represents is widows cared for, orphans cared for, immigrants welcomed, right? The poor cared for over and over and over and over again. That's what church planting ultimately leads to. Today hurts because this is our true reality. Josue and Yarida are some of our best. But the cost doesn't end there. No, it continues on, and we keep going up in Philippians because church planting requires humility. Um, if I had this microphone and I went around and I said, all right, who, um, who memorized Philippians 2, 1 through 11? Who's ready? I don't see any eye contact. Okay, cool. Not many of us. Me too. Struggled through it. But if we saw, and if you really read that and you made any sort of attempt, it was worth it. Because what you saw was that the example of humility is not Paul, it's not me, it's not Josue, it's not Timothy or Epaphroditus. The example of humility for all of us in our lives is Jesus himself, who had this mindset amongst himself that he counted others more significant than himself, didn't he? That's what we read, that's what we tried to memorize. Some of us maybe did it better than others, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. You guys remember this? Our kids memorized it? That's the beauty of church planting is that we have this great example that we don't have to guess on what this is going to cost us and what it's going to look like. So for all of us at the Grove, some reminders. It is no trouble for me to remind us of some ancient ways. We are not in competition with koinonia. Now, you go today, well, that's easy to understand. No, no. There's going to be a day when someone went to Koinonia and they got burned and they show up over at the Grove. And there will come a day where someone is not in this room right now and they'll show up and they'll go, man, those guys doing at Koinonia, Ugh. and we'll go, you have, someone will have the temptation. Yeah, I can see that, that they would do that. No, 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 no. These are our brothers. These are our sisters. This is actually our offspring as a church. And so what do we do with offspring? You nurture, you care. You come alongside it in any way possible for however long is possible, whatever the cost may be. You must have that sort of humility. All of us at the Grove, we have to stand firm in that reality. And for those of you at Koinonia in speaking about humility, listen. I got a final word for you, brother and sister, as you go. The time will come when the enemy will start to tempt you that you deserve something. You've put enough chairs up and down. You've sat long enough listening and receiving. Now it's time to, I deserve a little bit of, I've, I've put my time in. There will come a day and you will find yourself pouting or posturing or position, positioning yourself for power and privilege, and in the words of the great theologian Ice Cube, 
You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. When the church starts, you feel alive and everything's in this together and we're doing this baby together and you're in it and it's beautiful and everybody has all this access to one another and as the church grows, you start to long for those intimate days around dinner at Joy Lutheran Church. For those of you that were there. You start to long for those days. But you gotta have those days and then you gotta release those days so that other people can come in and feel welcomed and not a part of, on the outside of some clique. That ain't good for the kingdom. The, the day is coming, koinonia. The church starts, you feel alive with responsibility and authority, and everything is in the, everyone is in this thing together. But as time goes on, you begin to want certain things. You begin to go, hey, we should, we should have a certain type of women's ministry. You know what we need is Bible studies. By the way, these are all things that people have come in and at one point tried to impose on the Grove's DNA either too soon or too much or wrong model, and we just graciously had to go, love your heart to serve, love your heart to reach people. Could we maybe do it this way? This is the way. This is, this is now the new Mandalorian. I've watched too much TV apparently recently. Look, a women's Bible study, a Bible study, oh, 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 or this one. I need a youth group experience for my students, and so I'm going to go down over to Sugar Creek. I'm going to go down over to River Point. I'm going to go down, and you're going to leave people that you love and partnered with to reach people for the gospel. Now, we're not in competition, like I said, with River Point or Sugar Creek or any other church. God bless them. They have massive amounts of resources to reach people in a different way. But if we're pursuing this sort of church, on the ground, grassroots, sit down next to each other and share the gospel with non-believers, it's just going to mean there's a different cost to it. There will come a day. Koinonia, friends, Parkmans and Sanchez and Evans and Paynes and whomever, Monterosos and whomever else I'm forgetting, and whoever will join Koinonia in the future, here is the beautiful good news. <laughs> Josue and Yadira are going to disappoint you like crazy. Koinonia is going to be a massive disappointment. If you put all your hope in a certain structure and a certain thing, it is going to disappoint you greatly. But your hope is not in those things. Your hope is in the great Savior who has come to rescue and redeem us from the kingdom of darkness and rescue us and bring us into the kingdom of his wonderful son. And that's the good news that we herald. Whatever structures that we have, whatever preferences that get set up with the eldership that will be demonstrated and built up over time, that's the beauty. There will be a cost. You will have to be humble. So what will you do when you don't get your way, friends? If you're pouting and you're longing for Egypt and you've made some idealization of the past. I'm not Pharaoh. I don't think this is in Egypt. I don't think. But as you go and you start to idealize, man, at the grove, it was just, mm, don't make an idol of this place. Because whatever exists in your mind is not real. I mean, I don't know how many times I've sat down with a host way. And he has idealized, or I've idealized, something in the past, in the beginning of the grove. And it's like, man, I, it was like this. And I was like, bro, you don't remember when I had to just show up at the Lamar Consolidated Facilities guy's office because he wouldn't return my email or phone call and just wait for him to get back from lunch so we could have a place. Like, you don't remember. Don't idealize it because then you make an idol of it and then you're worshiping something that's not true. 
When you start to pout, don't idealize. When you start to posture and you start to put together a resume about how you deserve X, it's time for you to look upon Jesus who did not find equality with God, something to be grasped. And so don't take the position of pride. Instead, may your joy be found in the same place that joy's Paul was found and being drink, uh, poured out as a drink offering in verse 17 so that others might rejoice with him. Finally, what is the cost? The final cost as we finish up this time, and then we're going to bring them up and have a little prayer time. But before that, we have some other people that want to say a couple things. Finally, the church planting requires boldness. You remember this in the first part of chapter 1, that there was this beautiful partnership between this church and Philippi, sending all these goods to the prisoner of Paul, who's probably in Rome somewhere in prison. And there's this beautiful partnership, this koinonia, that's what partnership really means. But it's going to require boldness. Koinonia, rest assured that we, friends, we will remain steadfast to you. You're not going to be out of sight, out of mind. You're not going to be forgotten. We're going to continue to find ways to boldly partner in the future and continue to collaborate in the years to come. But notice the results of the sacrificial and steadfast partnership in verse 14 of chapter 1. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That is the hope, that we would be bold enough to speak the word of God with boldness and without fear. So for the Grove Church, this is not the best time to send the church out, right? I mean, I didn't mention this in the beginning, but let me just drop another bomb on us, like, Come May 21st, we're not allowed to be in Frost Elementary anymore, right? That's why we're sending them out today on April 16th instead of May 28th, which was the original date, because we're not going to be at Frost on May 28th. So May 21st, like they're doing renovations on the building, there's this, that, and the other going on. May 21st is our last day here at Frost. Well, praise be to God, God has provided for us a new home at Bowie Middle School, that on May 28th, we'll be over at Bowie, just on the other side of Cong Grove. Super easy to get to, very convenient. Right, but we'll be right over there for at least the summertime. Okay, and so, like, it, th this is not a good time to do this. Like, there's just all sorts of, of, of staff changes that we've been undergoing. We're trying to identify uh, potential elders and potential deacons. Um, there's all sorts of transition internally between accountants. I mean, there's not a good time. Have you ever known there to be a practical good time to do something boldly sacrificial? As a matter of fact, the more God calls you to do something, the more tempting it will be to be like, man, it's just not practical for me to do this right now. But practicality will wage war against our obedience unto the Lord for as long as we will live this life with him. And for koinonia, to be mobilized and multiplied for mission, you will need to see every circumstance, friends, as an opportunity God is using to advance the gospel. In verse 12, this is the last verse I'm going to reference, and then we're going to get to the, the getting. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Whatever comes your way, whatever Starbucks or coffee shop that you're at, whatever... Um, sporting event that you're at next to your kid or rooting for your kid, you're next to someone that God has sovereignly placed you next to for a reason. 
you're going to need to be bold, strong, confident in the Lord's work in your heart to see it as God's sovereign placement that you're next to someone that needs to hear the gospel. may not be right now, after you just did something dumb from the stands, but it might be later, speaking from experience, but it might be later. That's your opportunity. Be bold to share the gospel. Let every circumstance that you have, O Koinonia Church, let every circumstance that you have be an opportunity to advance the gospel. You will have many if you open your eyes to it. You will have many if you open your eyes to it. So here's what we're going to